Genesis chapter 12 is our passage of Scripture. We've been going through our series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture, and we looked at Genesis 1 through 11 over the last number of weeks, and we're going to be, look at chapter 12 um, this morning. Uh, thanks for all of you, too, as you're heading to your seats. Just all the well-wishing over the, uh, the Eagles last week. It was just a joy to see the game with my dad and my mom and my wife, Shannon, and my kids. Uh, we, we had a great time, and uh, my dad and I have been lifelong Eagles fans, and yeah. Shannon as well. And it was just so much fun just to enjoy uh, just the laughter and the fun uh, of that game. And so I'm so grateful for fun times like that together as blood family and church family. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to look at a section here that's going to cover a pretty good span, but it's going to be all focused on Abraham's life. So we're going to actually look through Genesis 12 through 25, or at least attempt to today. We're going to, again, through our series, Seeing Christ in All Scripture, we're going to be kind of taking it in big blocks um, and moving through the books of the Bible um, and seeing Christ in all of Scripture. Our hope is to get from Genesis all the way through to Revelation and so we're really excited about that. So if you could open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to begin reading uh, in 12, 1 through 9, and then we're going to turn to chapter 15, and then we're going to turn to chapter 22. And we're going to read three sections for our, our service this morning. So Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Read God's word together with me. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan, which later is the, it's the promised land. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, again, keep noting that word offspring, church, because it comes up again and again and again. As John mentioned in Genesis 3 last week, the gospel promise of through your offspring and or the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev, or toward the south. Turn to chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 21. Let's read. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. 
Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And then finally, Genesis chapter 22, 1 through 18. Let's read. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here, I, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, 
seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Let's pray. Oh, faithful God of Abraham, Thank you for your faithfulness to Him and thank you for your faithfulness to us, your people. Because for us who are here this morning, who have repented of our sins and who have believed in Christ, we are all children of Abraham. Having the same saving faith that He had in your promise and in your promised One who was to come. That is Jesus. Increase our faith. Increase our passion for You. Strengthen us according to Your Word this morning. Be glorified, Jesus, and fill me with the Holy Spirit's power that, Lord, Your people might be blessed and fed this morning. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. It's so interesting, you know, Abram, uh, his name means exalted father, and yet he's married to Sarai, and she's barren, and for so many years, they're not able to have children. Later, he's renamed Abraham, or father of many, and, and all of this in the midst of the travail of not being able to get pregnant, the two of them, and God just shows his power through weakness again and again and again. Um, we, as we looked at Genesis 1-11 through 11, in terms of setting up the context here for Genesis 12, John's message on the fall last week was excellent. Please listen to that if you haven't. A couple weeks ago I did a message on the fruits of the fall from Genesis 4-11 through 11, and we saw murder happen right away. Cain murdering uh, his brother Abel and then throughout Genesis 4-11 through 11, we saw man sinking deeper and deeper into iniquity and into darkness and into sin. So much so that God's heart was pained and grieved. Um, and, and, and the flood and the judgment of God came upon all but eight individuals on the earth. Noah found favor or found grace. He, this is the first instance where grace is noted. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And, and we see Noah preserved and his family. But then even after they come off of the ark and there's sort of a, a refresh on mankind, it wasn't too long and many generations down where mankind, ending up in Genesis chapter 11, were striving with all of their self-sufficient pride to build the Tower of Babel, to rise themselves up to heaven. And we saw God in His mercy actually scattering the peoples and the tongues across the face of the earth. And that's kind of where we find ourselves here 
in Genesis uh, toward the end of 11 and then flowing into 12. We've got one family here, Abraham's family, Abram's family, that's getting noted, and he is from Ur of the Chaldeans. And then we see really the story of God carrying forth His promise through the offspring of the woman, the head of the serpent would be crushed, carried forward through Abraham and his family. Remember after in Genesis 1-11, through we saw Adam, and then we saw his son Seth, and then his son Enoch, and then down through the generations to Noah, and then to Shem, and then now to Abram. And so the line of the offspring of the woman is, is kind of really highlighted here, and this is one of the real focuses of the entire book of Genesis. And so the line continues. And here in chapter 12, it it begins a real particular focus on God's chosen people. It's like all the nations of the earth, they start to play into the story, but you see a spotlight shine very brightly on Abram and God's chosen family and how they came to be and how they came about. And that story flows from chapter 12 all the way to the end of Genesis chapter 50. So, Next week, we're going to look at 26 through 36 and look at the lives of Isaac and Jacob and the faithfulness of God in their lives. So if you haven't been reading along in Genesis, seek to read through those chapters because we'll only be able to hit blurbs like we did this morning with this unit. And I want us all to be able to marinate in the text so that we can get maximum benefit from the Spirit through the Sunday morning sermons. Um, And what we're going to see here is the promised offspring, that gospel story going forward throughout the book of Genesis, flowing here from 12 all the way through to the end in 50. So I'm excited to go through this with you. And I've been really excited reading through the Bible together with you. Those of you who have been following along in the Bible reading program, thanks for doing that. Those of you who have been jumping in on the devotional on our Christ Community Church Facebook page, it, it has just been a delight to write those each day and so thankful for the opportunity to meditate on the Word together with you, church. The first point is going to be Abraham's flaws. The second point, Abraham's faith. And thirdly, Abraham's faithful God. So let's look firstly at Abraham's flaws. Before God called him, we see that Abraham, or Abram at the time, is from Ur of the Chaldeans. This a uh, group of people, this is now modern-day Iraq, where Ur of the Chaldeans was, where the Chaldeans and then the nation of Babylon arose later. Um, at the time that Abram was called out from this people, they were moon worshipers. And so it's really important to note that God chose someone out of darkness and out of idolatry and brought them into the light of His saving grace. And Abram had a call to come out from the darkness of that, and God called him out, and he obeyed and and came out. Um, But it's important to note that from the very start, you don't have someone who just kind of loves God by nature. Due to the fall, like John preached on last week, none of us just love God by nature. We have to be given a new nature. We need to be born again in order to now live to uh, please God. By nature, we are sinful. But when we're born again, we're, we're given a new nature. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. And you see really a transformation take place in Abram's life where he obeys this call of God. And you see this journey begin where he begins to call on the name of the Lord. 
But this is a man who has flaws. He was called out of darkness and idolatry by the grace of God. And then after God called him, you see, he, he makes this altar here. And you're going to see this throughout these chapters. Get these great moments of faith where, you know, he, he kind of just plants this flag in the ground that this is going to be uh, the land uh, that, that God promised that me and my offspring will, will have down through the generations. There's these great steps of faith. But then you look in the second half of chapter 12 and you see the story. Abram and Sarai in Egypt. And what you have is you, you start to see Abram being marked not just by faith and by obedience, but he's marked by sort of a crippling fear. He's so afraid because Sarai was very beautiful that, that the Egyptians were going to kill him and harm him. And so he, he had Sarai lie, and he lied himself, saying that, tell them that you're my sister. Don't tell them the full truth. She was, in fact, his sister. But she said, tell them you're my sister. Don't tell them that you're my wife, or else they'll kill me. And so you see this fear driving Abram, even after God called him. And you, you see it, and you see the selfishness in him as well, because he's, he's, he's willing to send Sarai into the Egyptian's lair, so to speak, and, and he's focused on himself. He's focused about his own life and whether he would come to harm. He's not looking out for his wife. There's a real fear. There's a selfishness. There's also lying and deception that marks Abram uh, even after God calls him. So Abram has flaws. When we move over to chapter 16, and again, this is after 15 where there's this great uh, faith again displayed by Abram. In 16, you see the story of Sarai and Hagar, and you see this Egyptian servant whose name's Hagar, and from the time of the promise to this point is about 10 years passing off. And so with the ticking of time, Abram and Sarai begin to just waver and and start to want to take matters into their own hands, and without trusting in God, Sarai recommends this path of of sexual immorality, really, for them to have a son through her servant, the slave woman, Hagar. And once again, fear drives and and leads them into saying yes to this. And there's sort of this spiritual passivity that you see in Abram and, and sort of this heart of let's do whatever it takes to get the blessing in Sarai, where she's not trusting um, in the Lord. And, and again, when 10 years of time pass by, it's very tempting to just want to take matters into your own hands and time can tempt us to act out in our sin. And that's exactly what you see Abram and Sarai doing here. And Sarah as well, she's sinning as well. And then you, you see this story progress where God continues his faithfulness to them. But then later on in chapter 20, you see this story repeat itself with the Egyptians where Abraham's now with Abimelech and he journeys through the territory of the Negev, and he sojourns in Gerar. And the king of Gerar, Abimelech, ends up in the same situation that the Egyptian leaders had previously. Once again, fear leads Abraham now to uh, just to really fear for his life. He puts his wife once again in a compromising position. He deceives them, and it, it becomes like this pattern in his life that he looks out for his own life and, and, and doesn't trust in the Lord perhaps the way he should. And so there's really a, a cowardice almost that you can see here of him doing this. And, and uh, 
what you see, though, in the midst of all of his flaws, God chose a flawed and sinful man to be his chosen son. And as one Christian, Derek Kidner, writes, God stands by his servants. God stands by his servants. I want to really highlight this point in point one, brothers and sisters. He, he saves Abram, and then he stands by Abram. He saves him and stands by him. And not just Abram, who is renamed Abraham, father of multitudes or father of many. Sarai is given a new name as well, which signifies God making uh, the fulfillment of the promise through her official. And, and she's one of his children as well. At first, in Genesis chapter 18, you might remember the story building up towards Sodom and Gomorrah when God comes and visits Abraham and Sarai. When God says, and He specifies to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to come this time next year and you will be holding a son. And and He specifies it's going to be through Sarah. She's eavesdropping on this conversation with with uh, God and her husband, and she kind of laughs, this kind of like scoffing laugh at what God says. This promise, she, she almost laughs in disbelief, and yet, so you see this, this woman who at times in the background, she's scheming, she's doubting, she's harsh to her servant in a way that doesn't honor the, the heart of God, and yet God still stands by her. He gives her a new name, which signifies... The word princess or daughter of the king. I love that with Sarah. And he brings her into the promise in her own right. And yet he sees her flaws and sees her husband's flaws. And yet that does not stop God from continuing to pour out his grace on their lives. In fact, it, it's, it's almost, it really is funny that when Isaac is born, his name means laughter. And the story was, was so laughter provoking that she was barren for all those years that it was such a story of how this could only be God that I'm holding this little boy. That the only reaction that she could give was to laugh. But this time it wasn't a scoffing laugh. It was a transformative laugh that was now a laugh of praise and a laugh of delight, a laugh of joy and a laugh of hope and a laugh of faith. God has just transformed this flawed woman throughout the story of Genesis 12 all the way through to 25. And I love this story of God's grace and the new names that he gives to Abram and Sarai, now Abraham, father of many, and Sarah, princess, daughter of the king. Just this story is so beautiful and so wonderful, and God is so gracious, and we'll get into that more. But it's important to know that God stood by them, even as they manifested deep and consistent flaws. 
brothers and sisters of Christ Community Church, those of you, my brothers and sisters, who have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, and you do love Him, can't you relate with the flaws? I know I can. And God stands by you. It stands by me, beloved, in all of our flaws. In fact, one, one observation from this is it's sometimes just, it, it's just amazing how great feats of faith can be followed by just folly and doubt. And where was the faith of just previous in this chapter with this individual? And the sudden transitions from faith to fear. And yet God stands by them. And that ought to give all of us in this room hope as we look at our lives and see and relate. Christ Community Church, my dear brothers and sisters, hasn't God stood by you? Hasn't He been faithful to you? May that never be a light thing to us. Sin is always serious and never to be swept under the rug is something not that big of a deal. But isn't it so amazing that our infinitely holy God would stand by His servants and that His covenant of grace, He never breaks His word and continues to love us, His people, even when we have been so often flawed in serious and ongoing ways. Praise God for Him being such a God of grace. Let's turn to point two, Abraham's faith. This is a flawed man, but it's important to see that this is a man of faith, brothers and sisters. And I want to highlight this and and really let this inspire all of us to have just great faith in our awesome God, the way Abraham is such an example to us. Um, The first thing you see in 12 is that God calls him to leave. And Abram leaves his, his father and mother who are in Haran, and he goes with Sarai and Lot and moves them into the land of Canaan. And he exchanges the known for the unknown. And often when you're stepping out in faith, that's what you're doing. You're exchanging the known for the unknown. And Abram is such an example there. He he comes out from the world. He severs the ties with his old life and begins to follow God's word, begins to follow God's promise. And we must do the same. In Genesis chapter 12, after the promise comes, he builds an altar. And there's just this theme throughout Abraham's life where he just builds these altars and these monuments that kind of mark the moment. He he plants a flag in the heart of the promised land. And I I just keep thinking, oh, oh, how we as God's people should also mark the moment in our journals. Mark the moment in times of prayer with times where God has delivered us and God has fulfilled His promise. And even yet in anticipation of promise, being fulfilled, saying we're marking a line here, building an altar to the Lord in the spirit or even physically to say this is going to be a a mark of remembrance of how God has been faithful and is going to be faithful. I love that heart of building a monument and an altar. And he does it again and again and again. In chapter 13, I'm going to be kind of flying by. Some of these stories will be familiar to most of you. um, But he lets Lot choose which part of the land he wants to go to. And he, Abram trusts in God to provide for him. He's not grasping 
he remembers that he already renounced everything to go and follow the Lord and the Lord's word and was obedient to him in that. And so when he ends up with a a situation with Lot where their herdsmen were quarreling with one another, he's a peacemaker, Abram is. He's generous, but he also, he gives Lot preference. He prefers him and he, he says, Lot, you choose. You go one way that you seem best and I'll go the other. And he gives him preference. It's just such an example there of, of, of faith in his life. Lot, interestingly enough, he chose by the sight of his eyes. And, and it, it did not go well for him, materially or spiritually, over the long haul. Um, and, and you'll see that play out in the story. Abraham, he sets up by the oaks of Mamre, it reads in, in Genesis chapter 13, And what's interesting about this spot, because he keeps returning here again and again, it's in the promised land. It's 20 miles south of Bethlehem, where Jesus was later born, 2,000 years later. Um, So you see him when Lot is captured. He's he's a man of courage. He's not just defined by fear. He's a man of courage. He goes and fights a battle to recover his nephew and his nephew's house. and, And they do. And when the battle's won, He comes up and he faces two different kings. The first king is Melchizedek, the the priest king of Salem. The town Salem at that time later becomes Jerusalem, the town of peace. It becomes Jerusalem. And Melchizedek becomes sort of this this figure that ends up becoming one that David predicts that a greater Melchizedek is to come later on, who's also going to be a priest king who's going to rule forever from Jerusalem. The town of peace because he has established peace through the blood of the cross. But by faith, Abraham tithes to Melchizedek and he he chooses the, the king of righteousness and gives everything of his heart to him. And he's side by side with the king of Sodom. And when the king of Sodom, and this was bound up with evil and wickedness, when the king of Sodom came up to him and offered him tribute, to give things to him, Abram wouldn't take a thing. So he, he's siding with righteousness in faith. He won't even take anything from a king who represents wickedness. And you see all of this. It only makes sense through the eyes of faith. But we see Abraham evidencing saving faith again and again and again. He believes in God in chapter 15 with justifying faith, which is used throughout the entire Bible to talk about the faith that we also have in Christ, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And I'm going to look and read real quick to you, Galatians 3, 5 through 9, read with me, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. I I love that title, the man of faith. It's like God, God... 
what he sees, we see often the flaws and the ongoing flaws. What God sees is man of faith, woman of faith. And I love that title of him in the New Testament. Look at Romans 4, verse 20. No unbelief made him, speaking of Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So we see in Genesis 15 that Abraham believes God and God chooses to credit or impute, reckon him righteous through faith and not through works of the law. And so it's through faith in Christ and not works that one is justified before God. And that is really shines forth in chapter 15. We also see him obey God in chapter 17 when the covenant of circumcision comes up. Circumcision really symbolized a a real wholehearted devotion and worship to the Lord. It meant to say, Lord, I am yours and I am a part of your people. Um, there's, There's sort of this inward faith in chapter 15 that is manifested with an outward seal of that faith in chapter 17 through circumcision. And it's this imputed righteousness or this credited righteousness that's now manifested in expressed devotion through obedience to be circumcised. And and Abraham believes and he leads his whole family into, uh, into really the covenant community, if you will. And it's wonderful to watch this faith be manifest. Another example of his faith is Abraham pleads in Genesis 18 for Sodom in prayer. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by the Lord and God brought judgment and fire and brimstone down on the town in relation to its wickedness for, and, it, and in judgment against its wickedness. And you see Abraham interceding for Sodom. This is like a picture of, of Christ interceding. And he's, he's, he, he goes before God and, and you see a real heart of faith that he prays and God listens to him, listens to him and hears him and and, and, and he goes all the way down to, if there's only ten people, would you spare the city for ten? And God says, I'll spare the city for ten. And guess what? It still wasn't spared because there wasn't ten righteous people in the city. But you see Abraham pleading in this relationship with God. This You see God coming to him right before he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And you see this, once again, this personal covenant relationship with God, which all true believers in Christ have. And one that we should just be so grateful for, church. Abraham offers up Isaac. This was like the greatest test of faith, brothers and sisters, to offer up the son of promise through Isaac. The promise would come. And Abraham chose to believe God at his word in the past. And so when God said, offer up your son, Isaac, your only son, offer him up to me, Abraham had to believe that God would raise him from the dead once sacrificed. So there's faith in the resurrection here in the Old Testament through Abraham. I love this story of Abraham believing in God 
and really passing this test that God gives to him. And, and God says, Abraham, seeing that you did not withhold your son, your only son from me, I know that you fear me. It's important to note, there's a, we have a God who, who tests us, not to break us, but he tests us to prove our faith. And that is something that shines forth from the character of God. And we see Abraham's, not just his flaws, but great faith manifested in this man um, who even believed in the resurrection, that God could raise his son Isaac up from the dead. Um, a couple other expressions leading into the home stretch with, with the whole section. There's faith expressed in Abraham's life in chapter 23 when Sarah dies. Do you remember? It's just this story. You're just like, I wonder what the significance of this is. He buys a Hittite burial plot in a cave as a burial ground for his descendants. Guess where that's at? Right in the heart of the promised land. So when all of God's people are later, when we get to Exodus, and they've been in Egypt in slavery for 400 years, they remember where their forefather was buried and where God promised to take them back to. And Abraham, even in death, Sarah, even in death, was we're like a living testimony. Don't forget. Don't forget. This is where God's going to take us after 400 years. I mean, it gives me the chills to think about this faith of this man. He, he bought it. and He wouldn't allow this, this man to kind of give it to him. He, he needed to possess it. So he bought it at full price so that everybody knew he possessed this area of the promised land. He was a sojourner. And so he didn't own property the way we own property today but he owned this burial plot and Sarah and later Abraham were buried in this burial plot and it becomes this theme throughout Genesis you'll see this later on with Joseph as well when he's in Egypt he's like listen when we all go to Egypt take my bones and bring me into the promised land when you go and uh, again just a faith even in death of where God's going to take them and fulfill His promise is, is such an inspiring thing. And, and uh, I'm so thankful for these examples of, of faith in Scripture. This story, it might seem really small, but it's not. The story of Abraham securing a wife for his son Isaac from amongst the people of God, his relatives, sending the servant to Laban, to the people of God and the people in the family of God so that Isaac wouldn't marry one of the daughters of the Canaanites but would marry a fellow believer, marrying within the people of God. It's important to note this was a great step of faith for Abraham and it's also instructive to all of us, church. We are, you see this theme of marrying within the people of God expressed in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where in 1 Corinthians 7 it says if we marry and even if we if we need to get remarried at some point in our lives due to widowhood or or otherwise in relation to remarriage remarry in the Lord do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever and young people I want you to have a conviction to to say yeah I will not marry a non-Christian I don't care how much in love I am with somebody, I, I only will marry someone who is a child of God and I will express my faith and obedience to God's word by marrying in the family of faith, marrying a Christian. And so, brothers and sisters, let us have that conviction. You see Abraham's faith manifested 
as he sends this servant and makes the servant promise that he wouldn't allow Isaac to marry a daughter from amongst the Canaanites, but he would go. And it's wonderful, the story of Rebecca. I can't wait to talk about her next week and uh, just her journey, her faith, and her faithful God. But church, I'm loving this. Are you? I'm just loving just these examples of faith. And like I said, if you're like me, when you look in the mirror, all, all that you can sometimes see is flaws. In this second point, I want to highlight this. God looks upon you and he sees the finished work of his son. God looks upon you and he sees a young man of faith, a young woman of faith, if you are a believer in Christ. And if you are a believer in Christ, I've got good news for you. You have believed God and it has been credited to you as righteousness. It's been credited to you. So with all of your flaws, I can tell you one thing. When you stand before the Lord on the day of judgment and you need to give an account before the holiness of God, all you're going to care about are two things. Is all of this filth and sin off of me? And do I have the perfect righteousness I need to stand before this holy God? And the answer to both questions is yes, because of the gospel. Because of what this awesome God has done. You have believed in God. And it's been credited to you as righteousness. And now God, he looks down upon you and he says, there's my man of faith. There's my woman of faith. Flawed though he and she still are, this is their identity. They are my people, my chosen people. And I have pledged and covenanted my love to them and it will never be taken away. And so when you see this this love of God, manifested in Genesis chapter 15 that this covenant love of God that pledges with blood, pledges with promise. Brothers and sisters, this is a deep covenant love that is a special love. And it's different than the the love that God has for the whole world. It's different from that beautiful John 3.16 love for God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. I thank God and praise God for God loving the whole world like He does. But beloved, we are called to feast upon this covenant love of God who would make a promise to His chosen people and pledge it in the midst of blood and say, I will surely fulfill my promise. You can be certain because I am covenanting with you that it will be the case. So when you read Romans 8, and it says nothing is ever going to separate you from the love of God in Christ, that has been covenanted in blood in the new covenant. That word will not break. That bond always holds. And as we go up and down with the flaws in our lives, remember what God sees is, oh, mighty man of faith. Oh, mighty daughter of faith. You are his child. If you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. And your sins are no longer held against you. They have been washed whiter than snow. They have been blotted out of existence, the Word of God says in Isaiah 44. And you have been credited with perfection, credited with perfect righteousness. And that's where I want to head in the home stretch. Abraham's faithful God. Abraham's faithful God. I'm going to fly through here, and let's just enjoy it together. God who saves and stands by His people 
continues to show his faithfulness to his people and to Abraham and Sarah throughout this whole section in 12 through 25. We see this this Genesis 15 covenant bond. I want to highlight this real quickly. It's just it moves me that he he said Abraham says, "How can I be certain that these things are the case?" And you see. In in Genesis 15, in the passage that we read, that God brought a deep sleep on Abram, and it says in verse 12, And behold, a dreadful and great darkness, or a great terror, the NAS says, came upon him. And you see this this kind of odd ritual that's kind of foreign to our minds, where these animals are kind of cut in half and set on top of one another, and then you see this this image of this smoking fire pot um, and this flaming torch representing the Lord in His presence going in between these pieces, as God's promising something to Abraham. This is his covenant. A covenant is, in short, a bond in blood. A covenant is an agreement between two parties where they make promises to one another about how they're going to relate to one another in the future. And they pronounce blessings for obedience to the pledges they make, And they also pronounce curses upon themselves if they fail to keep their word that they agree upon at the altar where the covenant is made. In the ancient Near East, in this culture, these were called suzerain vassal treaties or covenants. And it was very common during this time. God kind of met Abraham, Abram, right where he was at, having a ritual that Abram would completely understand. He makes covenants throughout Genesis, even with Abimelech later on, you'll see. And the suzerain vassal covenant usually is a ruler toward his subjects. And a ruler, once he's conquered his subjects, basically promises, I'm going to deal well with you and I'm not going to do you harm. And in return, you will render me loyalty and fealty and devotion and tribute. And if you don't, we are passing between these cut up animals for this reason. If any of us fail to keep our word, may what happened to these animals happen to you. So you better keep your word. That was what kept the pledge. It was the reminder that that violence would come upon them if the pledge wasn't kept. What's amazing about this covenant in Genesis 15 is it is a covenant of grace. It's a covenant where the ruler or the suzerain makes promises but requires none from the vassal or the subject. It all comes from God's initiative. He's the one who promises blessing. It's all one-sided from God blessing the servant. It's truly a covenant of grace, a covenant where Abraham gets all of the benefits and God gets all of the obligation. There is nothing that Abraham does except set the stage for the covenant to take place and then also to receive the promises and the assurance by faith. So God covenants with Abraham. And brothers and sisters, God covenants with you. There are special assurances of steadfast love for you, sealed with blood, but this time with the new covenant blood of Jesus Christ. God will keep His Word, and He will never allow anything to separate you from His love. And the words in Genesis 15 that God says to Abram, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Guess what can also be spoken over every true believer in this room? God is also, beloved, your shield. And your reward 
will be very great. It's going to be wonderful to watch you all throughout eternity shining like the sun in heaven. So God has a special love for His chosen people, His chosen bride, His chosen wife. And let us never begrudge God of that special covenant love that He shows to us. And we should never let that go to our head as if somehow we're better than anybody else. But we should feast on it and allow it to remind us of the certainty of His love. That this is a bond that's been sealed with blood, the new covenant has. And God didn't ever go back on His word with Abraham, and He never will go back on His word toward us. I hope that encourages you. One other note, the the clouds grew dark in this great moment of covenant making. And this is because whenever a covenant is made between God and man, it's holiness impacting sin. So there's darkness and terror falls on Abram here. With the new covenant, darkness also comes when Christ dies on the cross. Great darkness and great terror came upon the Lord Jesus as He bore God's wrath as your substitute and suffered in your place and in my place. The clouds grew dark as holiness impacted sin and shattered it because of what Christ had done. The one who knew no sin became sin and darkness and terror fell upon Him and the curtain in the temple separating sinful man from our holy God was torn in two. Sinful man now had access to come before holy God by the blood of the Lamb. And we still have that access because of what God has done. He stands by His people. With Sodom and Gomorrah, He shows Abraham what He's about to do. He interacts with him. He relates with him and his wife. He allows Abraham to intercede and to come before him and to plead. Our God also likewise gives us the call and gives us the ability to come before Him day and night and to plead with Him in prayer. God, in His mercy toward Lot, sends angels to rescue Lot and his family out of Sodom while Lot is still lingering, not wanting to leave. You see the mercy of God coming, and it's like we still want to cling to sin and not let it go, and God goes down and He's dragging Lot and his family out of Sodom before the fire and brimstone come. And aren't you so thankful For all of us in this room who have seen so many times where we've lingered with the world, God has snatched us out of the fire. Faithful God. He fulfills His promise in the birth of Isaac to Sarah. And the laughter is because the miracle of it all. And the story was one of God bringing great joy out of great pain. And then He tests Abraham and He proves His faith in relation to the incident where he asked him to offer up his own son Isaac. But Isaac didn't need to be offered. And this is where I close. It would be God the Father who would do that. It would be Jesus the Son, not Isaac the Son, for whom there would be no substitute. There was no ram that stepped in in the last minute to spare Jesus, God the Father's only Son, to spare him the agony of needing to crush his only son. But so great was God's love that he went through with it. He spared Abraham of that pain, but he didn't spare himself of that pain. So great is his love for you, beloved. And I want to note the sweet 
precious detail that I saw in my study, and I just couldn't wait to share this with you. Mount Moriah, where this happens, is the spot where in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, Solomon builds the temple. And so this spot was right in the vicinity of where 2,000 years later, Christ would lay His life down on the cross, a cross of wood, and bring forth the new covenant in His blood. The blood of the offspring of the woman crushed the head of the serpent there on that day, even as He was bruised for our transgressions. And I have been marveling at God and how awesome He is when Abraham pronounces the name of God, Yahweh Yireh. God will provide. On the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. It will be provided for you. It will be provided for me. Salvation. Perfect righteousness. Perfect atonement for all the wickedness that we have done. Provided for you and me by this awesome God of grace who says, believe in me and it will all be credited to you as righteousness as well as Abraham. His covenant in blood assures you that nothing will ever separate you from His love, beloved, if you trust in Him. God is faithful. He fulfills all of His promises. And like in the case of Abraham, when God promised to him that his descendants would be like the dust of the earth and that they would dwell in the promised land forever, guess what? We await the day when he will take us into the new Jerusalem and allow us to dwell on Mount Moriah and see the spot where he took care of all of our sins once and for all. We are saved. We have been counted righteous in Christ. All of our sin has been blotted out and our iniquity atoned for because... This awesome God who stands by His flawed servants. This awesome God who sees your genuine faith even in the midst of your flawed life. This awesome God has chosen by His grace to provide for you and me. Oh, my beloved brothers and sisters, we are the most blessed people on the face of the planet. And you are going to be also blessed forever in the land, in the new heavens and new earth, that physical, literal land that we are going to enjoy with new physical, literal bodies in the new Jerusalem, celebrating this great Jesus who died on Mount Moriah, the hill called Calvary, willingly, because so great was His love for us. God's been faithful to Abraham, and God's been faithful to us. Josh and the worship team, could you return? I think we got to worship. We've got to just sing and praise our awesome God in closing for being such a faithful and awesome God. So let us all stand, and church, let us give praise to God as we close in prayer. Oh Lord, we thank You so much for how faithful You are. Thank You that though we are flawed, You have stood by us. Thank You that You have seen 
our faith in you and you describe Abraham as a man of faith, not the man of flaws. You look at us with those same eyes of grace. Thank you for crediting to us the righteousness we don't deserve, for justifying us by faith in your son's blood. Lord, you have been faithful to your people. And we thank you so much that on the mount, the mount of crucifixion, it has been provided for us. Our salvation has been provided for us. Thank you on the cross of wood, Jesus, for shedding your blood and dying and blotting out all of our iniquities and cleansing us from all of our sin. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you live the perfect sinless life that we never have lived. And that, Father, you have chosen to credit Christ's perfection to the ungodly. You justify the ungodly. We praise you, God of grace, God of faithfulness. And we want to sing to you now, great is your faithfulness. Let's sing, church. Thank you, God, that you are faithful. That in your covenant, you provide everything for us, God. So that we can be with you for eternity, God. What love. What mercy. What love you have for us, God. We do not deserve it this morning. Thank you, God, that we can partake in that love that you Hold us steadfast in you. Through your son. Through his suffering. Through his righteousness. We can stand before you for eternity. Thank you God. Just name I pray. Amen. Have a great week church.